According to Forbes, culture is a company's single most competitive advantage. The facts back this up, with up to four times stronger revenue growth in companies with a strong, positive company culture. My name is Stephen Norton and you are very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast, episode 28. The eagle-eyed among you will have noticed a missing episode in October. The straight answer is I had to prioritise work and I didn't have a chance to record an episode. It takes about a full day to record and produce each episode and I just didn't have the time in my diary with work and home commitments. I could have stayed up late at night and, you know, then that would have felt like a a chore. I do this for fun and for free, so I'm not going to beat myself up about it. My guest this month is our first return guest. Ariel O'Farrell, who joined us over a year ago, is back with another brilliant book. Ariel is a consultant and author who focuses her time helping people design their pathway to success. The book we spoke about last year was all about smart objective setting, and it might be one you'd like to dust off again in preparation for next year's objectives. But a mere year later, she is back with another great book about helping your team become great problem solvers. Yet again, this is another practical guide. Not surprising as Ariel has a science background. She has a great ability to break down a process into clear and precise steps. Near the end of the episode, we started a conversation about company values and we really got stuck into this. So the episode is a bit longer than usual, but I really hope you enjoy it. Ariel O'Farrell, you're very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast, episode 28. Thank you very much, Stephen. Delighted to be here. So it's it's great to have you back. You're actually the first return uh, visitor to the podcast, um, and it's it's because of the uh, prolific nature of your writing. Um, fair play to you. You keep on churning out these books, <laughs> <laughs> keeping me busy. Yeah. And I'm delighted to be the very first person to be asked back. So it's great. Yeah, no, it's 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 great to see it. And like I've been following you on LinkedIn ever since we first connected. One thing I really liked about how you do this is you really bring people in your network in to the process of writing a book, which I find very fascinating. One of the things that really intrigued me was when you were picking the um, the cover art for this, you kind of put a, a LinkedIn post with like, here's option A, B, C. And it was a great reaction back. Everybody going, oh, I like C, no, I like B. And how did that feel actually doing it that way? Did, have you done it that way before? I did when with the smart book. I did I did the um, the cover, uh, um, but actually with the the manager's dilemma, I did it with both the title and the cover. Um, yes, and, that's right. Actually, sorry, I see yeah, the title one as well. Yeah, yes. yeah, and and I'm really pleased I did. Um, the cover was uh, re- well the first set of covers I put out. I was getting such a it was about a third, a third, a third. I was like, right, none of those work. So yeah, <laughs> and okay. so. And you, you, you have to be open to that. If you're going to do it, you have to be open and go, okay, I might really like this, but if yeah. my target audience doesn't like it, it doesn't wash. Um, so I, yeah, I had to go back to the drawing board and got more. And um, and then I did it in Facebook groups as well. And I had one person come right. back and that kind of a, would know through network, through, through social media. Um, and I came, I kind of said, well, what would you expect? Because nobody was really honing in on anything it was really there was a lot of different opinions so what would you expect and they said well I would expect something like a bridge or a sort of you know which is a lot of what ended up on the final 
cover. Yes, it's it's um, kind of it's um those wooden kids toys. Yeah, with a kind of a bridge between bridge. two wood, and three and wooden the, figures. Yeah, and there's a lip, and there's the managers on one side of the lip, and and he has to make he or she has to make that decision of do I just keep going, yes, or do I bring them with me, and that's yeah. the decision okay. point of the dilemma. Um, and it came down to that cover and another cover um, that it was really 50-50 between the two. So I had to pick and I I liked, I picked this one because of that that that, that lip in the bridge and that yeah. dilemma that arises, I just thought. And it really came down to, because the concept of the manager's dilemma is quite complex. And it came down to, do you, does the cover indicate the dilemma? Or does the cover indicate the outcome? Right. Okay. Um, and the other choice was it more depicting the outcome of an empowered team, whereas this cover depicts more the dilemma choice that the manager has to make in terms of getting to that empowered team. Wow. Um, that, that, yeah. So this is the thing. This is what goes into making a book. We don't. We none of us would have assumed that. We would have thought, yeah, you got a few options. Pick one. Go ahead. But look yeah, at look no. at all the detail that goes into picking that. Making sure it really resonates with the concept of the book. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And the, the um, title was even harder, actually. Uh, and uh, although that was quite co- the the cover was more intricate than say the smart cover had been. That would have been much more straightforward. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the title was really difficult. It was originally I, I wanted, you know, kind of buy back time. And because one of the outcomes of the concept in the book is that. Yes, you get if back. You, yeah, yeah you, you get more time back. Um, and, but that didn't resonate. I put it out and that didn't resonate with people. And I was mm. putting out different things that didn't. What, it, what did resonate was empower. It was something around empowerment. Um, and I had basically how to empower your team's problem solving was. Yeah. The working title it came down to that and then as i was writing at the chapter on the dilemma i was like this is it this it's the manager's dilemma um, and so that became the name of it and the what i had had as the working title became the subtitle so yet you've given us a hint into it there but can you give us the basic idea behind the manager's dilemma and what the concept is yes um so the concept of the manager's dilemma is, in my experience, a lot of times people will ask, what's the most, um, you know, what's the, the what's the one thing that you need to be really good at? What makes a good manager? Uh, and sometimes they're looking for it's emotional intelligence or it's you're an extrovert rather than an introvert. You know, a lot of times that's where they think the answer is. Yeah. In my experience and from what I've researched, there is no one thing. But what I have noticed is the one thing that managers tend to be good at, or the one thing that they all seem to have in common, right? I, what I would say the thing that they all have in common is that they tend to be very good at sorting things out. They tend to be very good at problem solving. Yeah, yeah. And my my theory is, they, they, the, the reason is, is that who do, you, who, do you, who do you give stuff to? You give stuff to the people who get things done. So what happens is you give things to an employee who gets things done and they get noticed and they get more experience. And so they get they're more likely to stand out and be noticed. And so they get promoted. Yes. And so the people who can problem solve tend to end up being the managers. I love that. I had never looked at it that way before I read the book. And and the minute I read it, I went, that's it. That is yeah. what happens. I I'd, um, I'd, 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 I'd noticed it. I'd put it in a different way. But you're right. The, the person who's the fixer, who's handy, like a, yeah. you know, they're handy, like a small spanner, they get noticed. And if they play the cards right, they get promoted. 
and yeah. and that's and you know so that's what like I, I would have even told a group of students today you know put your hand up take opportunity but really actually even if you put your hand up and take opportunity you better be useful and you better be fixing things because leadership you know the executive level or the next level up they're not seeing people who always oh, give them this opportunity actually in the firefighting world they're saying who the hell can fix this problem for me And that is it. it. That is it. Yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's great. So, and this is what I had noticed and I've, I've tested it. I've kind of talked to managers and groups of managers and, you know, and I kind of go and they go, oh my God, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And that's what the premise No, I found myself nodding as well. Don't worry. You've got another one that says, yes, she's right. Yeah. Um, And, and so what happens is those people get promoted up, right? And they've been rewarded for their problem solving. They have, and whether they know it or not, whether they, but they've intuitively, and because it's come naturally to them, because it's, and they've been rewarded. And what do we do? We keep doing what we did to get rewarded. Yeah. So we keep doing it. Except now you're a manager of people or in a manager of team and a manager of a lot more work that has to be done. So, man, so again, keeping the, the, the team members, some of them will be good as well and they'll be future managers or whatever. But a lot mm. of times the people who don't get promoted don't tend to be as good as problem solving you know, yeah, because yeah. of natural selection, if you like, whatever. <laughs> because the, the people Dar- who have been good at problem solving have been promoted. So. B- business Darwinism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so, they, so they end up, you know, and it's not that they can't, uh, I want to be yeah. very clear, it's not that they can't, it's that it doesn't come as naturally to them. Yes. Yeah. So they can become really good at problem solving, but it's not necessarily their natural approach. Yeah. And so what ends up, they, they go to the manager, can you help me here? Can you do this? Can you? Yeah. Blah, blah. And what happens is the manager who's been promoted for the problem solving, who's naturally very good at problem solving, has a choice to make. Do I just take it and solve it and continue doing what I've been rewarded for? Or do I decide actually... I'm going to invest my time and energy into enabling their problem solving and developing them. But I don't know if I will be rewarded for that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a dilemma. It's so common, isn't it? Yeah. It really Um, does. You know, as I say, when I was reading this, I was going, oh my God, that happens so often. And, And what it looks like, unfortunately, if you don't invest that time in, in, in the problem solving of your team is it looks like you're a control freak. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because you won't yeah. let go of anything. Yeah, and and next thing you're a bad boss, yeah. and and people are kind of and you don't want to be that. You want to be a good boss. No, no. yeah, no. And you also get overwhelmed because eventually, yeah. if you've got four or five people on your team, or seven or whatever number of people on your team, there's only one of you, and there's loads of issues yeah. that they're going to have on a daily basis. So you end up a bottleneck. Yes. Yeah. And you, you are, you, the, the team can only move as fast as you then. doesn't matter how many brilliant people you have. They're still only going at the speed of you. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And they're not empowered. And so they end up, and the dynamic is, so, and the book gets into this obviously in quite a lot of detail, but yeah, yeah. What, what ends up happening is you could have somebody who's actually quite good, but every time if they bring something to you and they're just looking for help or a guidance or a pointing out and you, and the manager takes it off them, a portion of those people will learn, actually, do you know what? It's an awful lot easier if I just go and bring it to them and they'll sort it out for me. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so we end up with these in these dynamics within the team that we don't intend to end up in. Mm. Um, I, but yet we end up 
as as a manager in that situation, they end up overwhelmed and overworked and frustrated and all the other emotions that can yeah. come out there. Um, yeah. So that is the, well, that's the manager's dilemma of it. So the dilemma is, do you, do you just uh, keep doing what you're doing, but be stressed, uh, be overwhelmed and not feel the potential of your team? Or do you invest the time in your team it means that you have to make some compromises and it goes into that in the book about, you know, and, and specifically, you know, kind of into certain scenarios. There's brilliant scenarios in here. That's really what's good about practical about your books is it's real life. You don't just talk theoretically about it. You talk literally about the conversations that you are going to have and that you're going to hear and the typical responses. But that's going to take time. So you have to invest time in that to get that time back. Yeah, to, to do your it. to do your real job that you're being paid for, which is be a leader. Yeah, be a and leader of those people and to manage those people. Yeah, yeah, and, to manage, and to manage the things the they're work. doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so that's the dilemma. So, that's without the dilemma, where did this concept first come from for you? Where did it? Yeah. Where Where was the kernel of this idea? Because I really do think you've nailed a really common problem. Like you could. You could have this conversation with anybody, and they go, "Yeah, oh yeah." If it's not them, it's somebody they work with. Do you know what I mean? If it's not them. But I would say, wouldn't, I'd say most people go through this problem actually in their career journey, would you say? Yeah, the vast, I mean, I I wouldn't say absolutely everybody, but I would say about 90%, 80 to 90%, I would say, yeah, definitely. And the 10% that don't are naturally delegators. um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. but they're they're natural managers they're natural leaders they're natural they they have a natural uh affinity with management okay yeah it's their thing it's their thing they have been able to so the biggest mindset shift when you move into management is moving from getting the work done to getting the work done through the team yeah so i'd say the 10 percent that have a natural affinity to it have had that understanding of how to that, that my value now in this new role is to get the work done through the team through the team but yeah perfect. very few people make that transition they go through a lot of pain sorry they uh, yeah. very few of them make it immediately yeah they, 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 they go, go through, through a lot the of painful pain. way and i understand yeah. that actually my own example that i that i i it, it's fresh in my mind i remember i took on a team that was quite a large team and they were like oh and this is such and such a team and this is such and such a team and they look after this and they look after that i say right so we'll get you set up on the systems and i intuitively i went no 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 hang on there's 50 people here if I'm the last person clicking the button, something's gone so catastrophically wrong that we're screwed anyway. <laughs> so let's not set me up on the systems because if we can't figure out it with the 50 people who are actually being paid to push the buttons, well, then actually I'm not going to add value to that situation. So I, you know, when I was reading this, I was thinking of that as well. Now, I did that not out of any brilliance. I did that out of complete ignorance and fear of pushing the wrong button. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I'll be honest about that. It wasn't any genius on my part. But but uh, I, I do see that in other people, you know what I mean, where they, they actually get access to things that they don't need as the leader. Yeah. Like as a leader in most cases, you you don't need any access to the to the technical aspect of what your team are doing you just need to understand what they're doing and in the army especially what they you know i i heard a conversation talking about why doesn't why does the officer only carry the revolver and the the soldiers are carrying the rifles and it's cuz the officer's not supposed to be shooting 
the officer's supposed to be stepping back and taking in the whole situation. Yeah. You know, and if the army understood that over the last hundred years, you know what I mean, or hundreds of years, you know, why hasn't that kind of translated to business? I think, just think that's another great insight in, you know, that you've you've gotten the book. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 So really true. So, yeah, I would agree with you. Probably 90 percent of people do go through the pain. Um, and I'm not saying I didn't go through the pain, but um, I'm, I'm probably such a, a <laughs> you know what I mean, kind of naively avoided it in some ways. At the, I would definitely not say I'm a natural manager or anything like that. Um, but I, I kind of avoided it out of fear <laughs> of doing the wrong thing. But um, you wrote the book. It, sorry, t- talk to me. We were talking about the kernel of the book and where it came from. Yes. That's where we were. Keep keep going. I'm so excited about talking about it. I, you know, this this is a sign of me being interested. Keep going. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, well, the kernel of it came when I was a manager. Uh, I had worked with. So I worked in the funds industry, and at this stage, yeah. I'd moved into the training function. And um, so, uh, whatever. I, I initially myself, and then this person joined me, and at some point, we grew it to about five or six training trainers. But this particular person, um, she was my first into the team. And we had worked in a previous company um, where I had managed her probably indirectly. And then we both ended up in this new, this other company. She was now working with me. And so I knew she's very capable. And um, But she came to me with a question. And I re- recount this in the book. She came to me with a question and I was kind of, okay, why is she coming to me with that? Yeah. I was like, surely she knows the answer to that. And I, I kind of gave the answer to her and I was afterwards going, what, Why, what would be going on for her that she would think she needs to come to me yeah. with that question? And I was, you know, mulling it over and thinking through why would, what, because it can't be she didn't know the answer. Mm. So it has to be something else. So it has to be that she wasn't confident or she wasn't or she didn't trust that she'd make the right decision and I'd back her or whatever. Like there was something about trust. It was something about confidence. I don't know, but it was something in that space. So I was like, how would I go about how would I go about changing my approach and just rather just giving her the answer? So I next time similar situation arose, I kind of said, "Um, you know, what do you think? what do you think the answer might be? And she was like, well, I think uh, whatever. Um, so I was like, okay. And what about, you know, so I'd started asking quests. What about this? Have you thought about that? Da, da, da. So I got her to, you know, she kind of came up with the right answer. So I was like, all right. And I kind of said, next time, next time what I'd like you to do is to come to me with a few yeah. thoughts. What do you, what would your recommendation, some ideas and what you would recommend? So we started working through that process of that she would start coming up with recommend, you know, what the problem was, why it was an issue, what the, what she was recommending. Um, and then so we worked through that process for a few weeks. And uh, one day she came and whatever the issue was, and she said, well, I'm thinking of this and blah, 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 and, da, 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 and this is what I'm recommending. And these are the reasons why I'm recommending yeah. it. And, you know, this is my thought process. And I just was like, you've got it. Bingo. Yeah. You, you, you don't need to come to me anymore. You know this stuff. And what that process did, now I think it was a confidence thing. It wasn't, a, I don't think it was a trust thing. Um, I think it was a confidence thing and that she had, her through this process, her confidence had been built that she believed in what she was thinking of and that she also knew she was thinking through everything that I would think through. Mm. And so that she was coming to the, 
more or less the same conclusion and the same approach that I would have come up with. Yeah. Um, and that built her confidence to the point where she wasn't having to escalate these or come to me with these things anymore. Yeah. So that freed her up because she wasn't getting frustrated because, you know, if you're training, you could be gone for two or three hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not available, you know. Um, so it freed her up an awful lot and she was much more confident. Um, and then I, I, to be quite honest, I just thought, yeah, that's sorted. Didn't think mm. too much more about it. And years later, I was mentoring a group of women and they were the senior women from big, well-known international companies. And as they were talking and the frustrations, you know, the, the normal things that they deal with, as they were talking through, I was kind of going, hold on, I know this. I've, I've, heard, I've seen this before. And it brought me back to this situation that I had been in. And I just said, I throw this idea out on the table to them. And I threw it out and, you know, approached my, my theory of it. And they were like, yeah, that's that's exactly what happens. That's that's exactly. Um, so I realized it wasn't just me. It wasn't just me and that particular person that this was actually something that was much more prevalent. Mm. Um, yeah. And then I started working with clients around that whole space around, you know, put together a workshop on it and around how do you develop somebody else's problem solving. Brilliant. And, Partly it came from, you know, through the SMART objectives because you'd be going through SMART and, yes. and they'd be going, but they're not very, we'd get it down to their problem solving. And it was like, well, how do you, how do you develop somebody else's problem solving? Because it's not a skill that is ever talked about in management. No. You never hear it raised. And yet it's really key to empowering the organization. It's, it's just when you mention problem solving, I've, I've, I've worked, been lucky enough to work with engineers and actually their methodology and approach to their work is very problem solving oriented and they're really good at that. You know, they, 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 they see in everything, they see a problem to be fixed actually. And they're kind of quite, let me get stuck into it. And, um, but the challenge is, is a lot of them don't have the other leadership skills then that, that other people have. But it's interesting what you say in business, because I suppose what I'm saying is, there is thing you can learn it because engineers do learn it, you know, yeah. but we don't bring that into the business world, into the office world, should I say? No. And it's never, it, it, yeah, it, like as a skill, it's not brought in. How do you develop somebody else's problem solving skills? And it's, it's not even articulated that it's needed. You, you never yeah. hear anybody kind of, well, you need to improve your problem. So it's never set out as an objective for anybody. You need to improve no, your problem solving skills. But it is, if you go to any competency based interview, problem solving and decision making is put down as a competency. Yeah. But if you asked anybody to articulate what that, what really good looks like on that, would they have an answer? Yeah. I guarantee you people are much more confident talking about decision making than the problem solving end of it and how they approach that. Yeah. yeah. And interesting because again, like I've I've designed competency frameworks from scratch and I right, use, yeah. I've, I've moved towards, moved away from that towards something what I call role dimensions. And as Ooh. I work with Sounds companies. Sounds like something else on, we need to talk about. Yeah. Well, that's another podcast, but, um, <laughs> but one of like, I, any company I have ever taught, I've ever worked with, they all have a requirement for problem solving. Yeah. They don't know how to develop it. So as part of the interviewing, they're trying to get people who are naturally good at problem solving. Instead yeah. of breaking down the process and going, this is how we develop people's problem solving skills. 
And it's not mm. just the, the steps of problem solving. And again, as you've alluded to in the book, that there's there's different avatars, if you like, or different re- profiles of different people that show yes. up in the workplace. Yeah, it's very well um, done. Yeah. Um, you know, and and that's there's so there's so many things. It's not so there's the understanding the process of problem start solving. And then it's how do you develop somebody through each of the stages to become really yeah. good at problem solving. But then there's also the human part of what's going on for the human and what might be like their beliefs, their values, their all that sort of their personality preferences. There's all that sort of stuff, their assumptions, their expectations, yeah. that that whole layer of the human, the layers of the human that also feed into whether they are good at problem solving. So they could be quite good at it, but they don't they don't have the confidence in themselves. Yeah. Or they don't have the trust that whatever decision they'll make, they'll have their, their manager will have their back. So it's not just about the process of problem solving. It's the layers that go into the human as to whether they can um, build up the, the skill sets and the belief and the not and the confidence and the trust needed to be good at problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned there uh, the the avatars that you created, these pen pictures of the team um, that the manager in question, your your style of writing is really like, first of all, it's very practical, as I say, you know what I mean? You really kind of lay it out. But in, in how you've done it, it's quite uh, accessible and innovative because it's like reading uh, a play in some ways because you've got lots of conversations in here you know, where uh, we have Trish here talking to the coach and, and the, the different challenges back. And you've created these avatars, as you say, to illustrate throughout the book the type of conversations you're going to have rather than keeping it theoretical. And again, just to go back to a book writing, that seems to me to be a hard way to do it, but fair play you did it. <laughs> is, yeah. it well, is, is it hard? Like, you know, because you could have been very theoretical about this and just kind of went, here it is. But you actually took the time to write these conversations. And I was thinking, did she record all these conversations and just transcribe them? Or is this because like it is you're after writing not just a book, but a play as well. That's yeah, just set well, in the office. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can see it in the gate now. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you know, I, I could have written it interestingly enough, I would actually said the way I wrote it was a lot easier. Do you reckon? Oh than, my God, fair yeah. play. Okay. Um, because I don't think, I think I would have, I would have struggled with getting all of the nuances and the layers that are involved in this fully described and understood in a theoretical book. Um, yeah. Because it's, there's, there's so many different layers to it. It's a very, um, there's, it really is, it's a, there's a lot of complexity in these situations. Yeah. Uh, on, on the human level, because you've got the manager themselves and all their stuff and how that's getting in their way. You've got the process of problem solving. You've also got the process of escalation and how, how we signpost the escalation and what we expect to be done prior yeah. to the escalation. And then you've got all of the comp- complexities of the human to any individual employee. And you're trying to figure out where is that employee starting from? Mm. And to bring all of that in, I think would be in a theoretical way. I was I was kind of going, how do I 
Yeah. How do I do that? Because I think it would just, I think you would get too bogged down is, is what right. I think. Okay. Um, and I think to then pull it all together uh, would be very difficult for the reader to fully get the full nuances of it. I, I can imagine you writing it though, like you would have really had to relive <laughs> a yeah, lot well. of conversations <laughs> and like you've got, you've got the personalities of the people and even even down to the kind of little quips that people give back you know what I mean so is you know I'm just making it up now but is that done yet what do you mean is that done <laughs> like you know yeah. that's because that is the way people react you know in yeah. the office so you you have yeah. all that built in there so to me yeah. like creating those characters and trying to bring those characters to life through the book and, and for people I, I think that's a pretty impressive way to do it it's not something I've seen um you know too too often before you know, a uh, very practical book. You know, when I say practical, you know, there's things, the, the three valid reasons people escalate issues. I really liked that. The what the three amigos of escalation, as you've called it. And, uh, you know, you, you talk about a flavour of the most common responses people say, you know what I mean? They don't know what they're doing. They couldn't be bothered. They're lazy. They're looking for help. They're lacking confidence. All these judgmental things that we all do think, why are they coming to me? My God, can they not just get off their arse and do it themselves? But actually, that's never the motivation for it. There's always something more behind it. And you really break that down into what are the three main reasons that they are coming to you? What is the escalation? And I thought that was that was a really good one. And uh, I suppose, you know, it wouldn't be wouldn't be too much. You know, sometimes they really do need to come to you. And sometimes it's it's you as a mentor they need you know you know they, yeah. they need you to be there supporting them yeah. and and sometimes it's just information it's actually it's looks like an ex- escalation but it's actually just hey you're the boss so you probably need to know about this yes doesn't mean yeah. you have to jump in and try and save them which could be yeah. really frustrating for them you know yes and that 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 signposting of the escalate, what what why are you bringing this to me? And in the US, they had to again. It's very common to say, "What's the ask? What are you asking for?" And I think mm. I do reference that in the book. But yeah. that only goes so far. Um, that that question only goes so far because the, my my theory or my my point on it is, it's not just that they come to you with an ask; it's that they have sufficiently prepared prior to coming to you. So if you just kind of go, what's the ask? They'll be going, oh, I've got this problem. Will you help me sort it? But if they've done no research, if they don't really know what the real issues are of all that kind of stuff, that then falls to the manager. So the ask being, I need you as a sounding board, but actually I kind of want you to do all the research for it as well. And you're kind of going, so my approach is kind of going, well, hold on, they have to come with a certain level. They have to bring it to a certain level, a certain point before they can start coming to you and going, I don't really know what to do from here. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's not letting them off the hook to kind of go, well, I'm, you know, I need you as a sounding, I need you to help me here. It's kind of going, okay, well, how much have you helped yourself, first of all? Yeah. And now where do you need me to help you? Um it's it's you you've brought pre people through this in practicality, in workshops and things like that. What mm-hmm. when when somebody unlocks that problem solving in their team, what what practical benefits are they seeing you know on the ground um, in your experience yeah so in my experience firstly they're not getting as many things brought to them so the 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 guys you know, the, the team members are able to sort out an awful lot of their own issues mm. so they're able to finish off tasks an awful lot so so work gets done faster because you're not waiting to go and talk to somebody 
the, it's not dependent on the manager in this case. So work gets done faster, um, which also means it builds their confidence. It builds their, yeah. the trust uh, between the two parties. Um, they're freed up. So they, they know that their manager, because they have a good sense of, I'm, I'm going to end up in the same ballpark as my manager. And the manager knows that they're going to end up in the same ballpark. This is getting to, I don't know if you've, I'm sure you've come across Stephen Jr., Covey Jr. I can't yes, remember, yeah. it's, it's Stephen M. Covey. Or, yeah, he's got a different middle son. initial. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it comes to the speed of trust. Yes, and yes. and this is that if I trust you, I know you're going to, and if you're coming to me, I'm going to give you attention because I know that if you are coming to me, you really do need help. Um, yeah. So it speeds everything up and the the team members end up more, um, they're able to finish their own tasks faster, quicker, more competently. They're actually able to take on more work. They're mm. able to get involved in more um in, in opportunities, they're able to get involved in projects that they wouldn't have been able to if they're constantly waiting on their manager being the bottleneck to kind of get things finished. Yeah. Um, and all of this begets itself because if you're if you're getting involved in projects and you're getting involved in opportunities, you get exposed, you get exposure to management, to senior management, you get more opportunities become available to you. But you also, you also it also goes to the, the, the um, self-determination theory of feeling competent. I feel competent. I feel able. I feel I can take on more things. I feel I can do more. I feel yeah. I feel in control because I'm not dependent on other people. So there's a whole mastery piece that builds up their confidence there that they're able to, um, yeah. and that frees them up to be able to learn more tasks, more processes, more. So if you're, you know, if you're going to go, well, my take is if you're going to go to work and you're going to, like, it's good to be able to do it, do what you're doing and to be able to learn additional things and to be able to take on yeah. more things and have a career. Yeah. Yeah. There has to be growth. And um, so you have all of that. And from the manager's perspective, clearly they're more freed up because they are not being interrupted as much. They're mm. not being sidetracked as much. Um, now, that can be a very uncomfortable place because, of course, this goes back to the manager's mindset and the manager and the yeah, control and, you know, next, the yeah. perfection. <laughs> if they've got a manager, your beliefs? Yeah. perfection and yeah. they're going, oh, it won't be done to the right level. And um, so they, there might be an uncomfortableness there for them. But, but you know, it, what I find is when people leaving aside things like perfection as a value and that sort of thing, the need for control. Most managers, when they put it into play, they uh, realize that the trust is there because the process, the process of how you get people to that point, mm. you know, and, and as we saw with my, my uh, team member, um, the process actually builds that two-way confidence and trust in each other. Mm. So because you're yeah. getting them to explain, explain to me your recommendations, explain to me your, your thinking, explain, explain to me your process. Um, they get to the point where they're, they're explaining everything and the manager doesn't have any more questions. And yeah. so they know I've thought of everything and I know I can think of everything. And that builds that trust. And the manager is going, I know you've thought of everything. I know you've, you know, I know you're coming to the right conclusions. And so that trust gets built hugely between the two, between the individual and the manager. And then you've got a whole team of people who are like that and they're working at a whole different level to it, another team. Yeah, well, this is the thing, like we can we can put different names on it. You know, that that 
you know, self-determination or autonomy. We know now that especially the generation that's coming up, they want to have control over their work to a certain degree. But it's very easy getting somebody who's enthusiastic about taking control of their work and switching them off. And and suddenly, and you can switch people off for 10 years, you know what I mean? Until they, yeah. you know, can't deal with it anymore and move, leave your yeah. company or whatever it might be. Um, you know, and there's nothing, you know, I often ask the question in my workshops, is kind of like anybody like being micromanaged <laughs> and no hands go up. And I go, well, why are there so many micromanagers? Because we, you know, and then I ask the question, who's worked for a micromanager and loads of hands shoots up. But nobody wants to be a micromanager. So you, you know, to avoid that trap, you actually need to follow this process. You actually need to empower the people. You know, that is your job as a leader is to create this in the company that you're in. That's what they're paying you for, isn't it? But as you say, companies are not being explicit enough about that expectation in leaders. And I, I do think it's because companies are like, as long as there's not a fire, we don't care. You know, we don't care who's stressed or who's disengaged as long as there's no fires. Yeah, well, no, I'll, 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 I'll adjust that whatever that word I'm looking for there. But yeah. it's as long as you could, so long as the fires are put out. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the <laughs> fires happen. <laughs> yeah. We fires all know happen. the fires. Yeah, yeah. The fires happen, whether we like it or not, as long as they're put out. And we don't care who puts them out. And we don't Absolutely. care if you as a leader worked on Saturday and Sunday to do it because yeah. you haven't empowered your people to fix that problem which they could have done all day Friday, but you were in meetings all day. Yeah, you know, exactly. And what, what I, what I suppose, and I, again, I give this as an example in the book. um, And it's one of my, my, my things is that if the work gets, if the work naturally escalates up or whatever, it floats up because somebody has to do it and it floats up because the people aren't being empowered to do it. um, It costs more. And I don't understand why companies don't look at this an awful lot more. Yeah. But companies course, have per, per, priced per issue. You're paying yeah. more, and per 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 product or per service, whatever it is the company does, and what they they have that priced at a certain level of certain work being done at certain levels. Yeah, and if that work floats up, the de, the, the the cost to create that product or service, deliver that product or service, increases. Yeah. So, you, you know, if work has been done by a supervisor or a manager or even more senior, if, you know, 50% of the work has been done by them and we're paying them, you know, 25% more than or whatever percentage we're paying more yeah. um, than the person who should be doing the work, we have just increased the cost of the delivery of that product yeah, or service. 100%. And so not getting this right affects the bottom line. Yeah. And that's just one product or one service or whatever it is. You know, Mm. you multiply that out by the number of times this is happening across the organization. Yeah. And you look at it in those terms and the organization is seriously underperforming. You you remind me of a little experiment I did when I was in a large organization and where we had um, a staff member who we, we had been we've been collecting data anyway on the work completed and on, on, you know, on their time spent in meetings, their time spent in training and all these kind of things. And, um, what we, they got promoted to, you know, the, the kind of junior management level. So next, you know, the first rung on the management level. And we just kind of a year later, wasn't quite maybe a year later, we decided, we wonder what's changed for them. So they're, so they're still tracking their data. So literally how many 
transactions they carried out or how many, you know, issues they dealt with, how many meetings they've gone to, their training, all that was still being tracked. And what was horrendous and really shocked us at the time was there was no difference. Now, we've given that person a different job and we are now paying them more and there was no difference. All we did was pay them more. <laughs> you know, isn't it? I, I just that's a you know, that's exactly what you're speaking to there. Uh, and we do that all the time. So they were they were being promoted because they were the best at doing the things. And we let them still just do the things instead and we paid more. of and just paid more for it. Yeah. But now we have actually paid even more because we're paying them more to do it. And we also hired, so we, we backfilled. Yes. Yeah. So we're actually paying them as well, as well as the fact that we're paying somebody a premium to, so now we're paying for it twice plus a premium. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I don't understand how, ma- how companies don't examine this in huge detail yeah. and go like the return, if you were to, when you promote people up or get them, trained up in advance of to be ready and to clearly articulate the change in expectations and all of that, the investment of that would be, you know, having that capability at the cost of that in the company would be repaid thousands of times over by the work being done at the right levels. The the right work being done at the right levels, you're 100% correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really what it is about it. The fundamental, yeah. Yeah, that's, fundamentally, that's fundamentally. I, I'm glad you mentioned the manager's mindset at the end of that, because I, I you know, I really like and I'm, well, I'm not surprised you brought it in. But, you know, you talk about the, their their personal values and beliefs and, and what their belief is about problem solving and that kind of thing. The, the manager's belief has a bigger impact on the team than people realize, don't they? You know, literally what they believe about work, what they believe about how we do things. It has a massive impact yeah. on the team. It does, and 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 as as you know, ultimately, where the cultures of an organi- where where does the culture of an organization comes come from? It comes from the top, yeah. And in the exact same way, within the team, the dynamics in the team are directly influenced by how the manager manages the team, um, and so the the how you know if the manager is. Again, they have a value of perfection that they're going to want to control everything and keep yeah. sight of everything. And that has a, if they, you know, and again, if, if you have a value of perfection, you often have, it kind of shows up in two ways. But oftentimes for managers, it shows up in the, I'll just focus on the one or 5% that's done wrong instead of acknowledging the 95 or 99% right, that's yeah. done right. And so it becomes a blame culture and it becomes, okay. you know, so all of this. And, and it, the, again, I think, book um, articulates quite well that that dynamic of how the manager and how they approach problem solving, how that impacts on how the team respond. So people will always look up and they will go, this is what they're looking for. So therefore, this is what I'll morph towards. Okay. Yeah. Some people can do it. Many people can do it. Many people acquiesce. Some people are going, I can't do this. I'm gone. So they'll leave fairly fast. Yeah. But for the rest of them, they'll morph. Or fish, they'll acquiesce ish or whatever. They'll just kind of go, keep the head down, get on with it reasonably well. Yeah. And yeah. so how the manager approaches things is exactly what will transpire within the team. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think that a lot of leaders or managers realize that they are always on. People are always looking at them. Yeah. You know, you have this... Uh, it's crappy celebrity, but it is celebrity in the sense that you have this role where you are 
you are you're always on you're always visible and so if you work through your lunch people notice that and think that that's maybe an expectation and um, if you if you send emails at 10 o'clock at night people see that and think maybe that's ex- expected every little interaction is public because yeah. you're the boss you yeah. know you don't get that luxury of not being noticed yeah absolutely and one of my favorite sayings is actions speak louder than words yeah exactly what you've described there all of those actions are non-verbal communication and as managers as leaders we're 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 thinking oh i'm just here doing my job and you go yeah "Yeah, but part of your job is being a role (laughs) model and people are looking at you doing your job and there you know there it's that and this is where i suppose understanding that the core of under of being an effective leader is that self-awareness yeah it's that understanding they are all looking at me that's part of my role and how i show up is going to influence how they turn up yeah um and if i'm if i'm thinking oh well i'm just doing this but i don't expect it of you you can say that all you want Mm. but the action is saying you expect it of yourself. So the implication is you expect it of other people or people will interpret it in that. And again, um, in the in the absence of even messaging, do you know what I mean? Like a lot of times managers and leaders don't even go as far as to say, well, I only expect it of myself. I don't expect it of you. They don't yeah. even go that far. They're, they're not aware so, enough to go that far. <laughs> yeah. So it's a vacuum. So it's, and yeah. people will make up their own narratives yeah yeah absolutely you know, what they do they'll go oh well it must be this and um, and they yeah so, and no, you, just, you leave a legacy don't you you know that 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 legacy carries on even after you've gone because you've educated the next person they promote that this is how things are done <laughs> you know so that's how you do it absolutely and it does forget itself because again you get you know going even back to the manager's dilemma and the problem solving what happens is people go, well, this is what I see my managers do. So this must be what I do. And That's so they it, yeah. perpetuate it. And of course, you know, you're go back to your example where the person was promoted up to frontline manager. And so, you know, so people will go, oh, you just get a different title and more money. And but you do the same job. That sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> so they exactly. Think yeah. That's, that's the difference. And then they get, you know, then they get confused where you know, HR or a more senior manager might be saying, well, no, actually, that's not what we expect yeah, of a yeah. frontline manager. <laughs> this is what your man's doing over here. 100%. So you went up with yeah. this I, dichotomy of I, people I, being upset or sorry, people being people, um, their expectations are way out of line because it, nobody yeah. is bringing it into reality. I had a conversation with a manager once um, in the last couple of years and they said, look, I just don't get it. They keep on using the phrase people leader now, but I've been an operations manager for years. I'm not a people leader. And it's like, you've got about 30 people reporting to you. You have been a people leader for years. <laughs> and But this guy was like, I'm an operations manager. My job is to op- manage the operations, not the people. <laughs> I don't want to have to talk to those people. <laughs> you know, it was amazing. <laughs> And that's just a classic because I'd like to say it's unique, you know, that he's he's able on his own, but of course it's not. not, um, Because again, you're kind of going, yeah, but you know, you need the 30 people to do the work. To do the work. Yeah. Um, I think it was Dan Waldschmidt uh, said, uh, there are no profit problems. There are no business problems. There are only people problems. 
Mm. <laughs> that's that's it. No, you know, if if you're having a problem with your, your operations, look hard enough. There's a person somewhere there, <laughs> you know, behind it, and that's who <laughs> you really need to get to. Um, but yeah, no, yeah. it's it's a fa- it's it's a fascinating book. It's it's a really good easy read. Um, I think it will resonate with a huge amount of people um, because it absolutely hits the nail on the head on this on this problem that uh, is is it's just ubiquitous. It's everywhere, and and I really do think that it's gold to be able to empower people to to problem solve and therefore, as you say, free yourself up to do the job you're supposed to be doing. You know, so uh, really good. I want to, we haven't got too long left and we've, we've talked a lot about the, the manager's dilemma, but I said the last time we spoke, we'd talk about this book, which is values, not just for the office wall plaque. And I know it's something that we easily fall into a conversation about in terms of values. It's a conversation that I have constantly with the companies that I work with. Um, you know, on a weekly basis, I'm talking about company values and and the basic questions of, you know, that I give to the leaders that I work with is like, do the company values resonate with you? And when we really get into it, you know, people kind of go, I I don't think about them. They don't live in my career and work. So, so this was your first book. Um, Yeah. So this was your first book. And uh, again, another great book. I I think what, you know, what I would say is a a really thought provoking book, first of all, you know, something that people should. um, I I don't think we bring values into the office enough. Um, I don't think they get into meeting rooms. You know, values are are put up on the wall, but they never make it into the meeting room enough, Mm. you know, where where there's a difficult question and we go, well, if we were to look at this through the lens of our values, what would that look like? Yeah, I, and I I would slightly disagree with you. Go ahead, I, think they, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I think they do get into the meeting rooms. The values do, the real values do. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. Mm. <laughs> the real values <laughs> yes, do, yeah, right? Sorry, and we yes. make the decisions via them. Yes, yeah. One, we might not be aware of them. And they might not be the same ones as we have on the wall. So they the, do turn yeah, up. Sorry, you're the right. The real ones right. turn the, up. <laughs> the unconscious values that actually yeah. is how the, the, the real way things are done around here. Yeah, yeah. sorry. that. Yes. <laughs> Good correction. You're dead right. They are always there. They are always there. They are always they are there. Always there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and interesting values are, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of a really nebulous thing, but yet you can hear it in people. Like, so I would be... A, just I suppose partly because when I came across values, which was in 2006 when I was doing my coaching program, um, it was one of those huge aha moments for me and the realization of, oh, this is what is going on with me and the importance of my values and how I react probably very strongly to when there's a, my values don't match with somebody else's. So it was an awful lot of, oh, this is what's going on. And by understanding my values, it actually reduced the amount of emotional turmoil in me personally, because I could understand, I think prior to that, I could never, what what is the cause of this disconnect or conflict or turmoil, emotional turmoil that's going on with us between me and somebody else? Yeah. So um, it was that really revealing process for me but when I'm taught so then I brought it into my coaching with everybody for quite a long time I bring Mm. it in probably slightly less you know I was still 
a lot of times bring it in, but I wouldn't be doing it absolutely with everybody. Yeah. But even in talking to some people, like I can hear their values. I can hear them coming out and what they're saying and how they're saying things. And, um, you, you know, to the point where you might be talking to somebody and go, well, you've clearly got a value of, and they're going, how do you know that? And you're going, well, because of that sentence yeah. there, yeah. that's coming from a value. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. just directly related to a value. So it, it's see, it's a very nebulous thing. And yet I always kind of say the soft skills are they, they seem soft until they're not working. And then it's like running into a brick wall. Yeah. yeah you know, it's, yeah. it's it's when it's all working well, we don't notice them. Mm-hmm. But when when there's when it's there's a disconnect or it's not working, it's like it is a brick wall like you're running. Yeah. It's like that painful running into a brick wall. Um, so. The 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 the. For something that's so nebulous, it has such a huge influence and impact on us. Yeah, massive. So, massive. And again, for I would say every manager, every leader should know what their own values are in depth. And it's not just what the values are. It's what do the, what, how do you define the values? How do you define those values? Mm. And where are the boundaries? What's in play? What's out of play? So mm. I just as an example of that, I say respect. A lot of times you work with people and they go, oh, yeah, respect. And then you delve into it and you kind of go, what about self-respect? And in their definition, they have never brought in self-respect. All right. OK. So, yeah. so their definition hasn't included it. And then when you have that conversation, they're going, well, of course, if I'm going to res- truly value respect, I have to value self-respect. That should be there in my definition. Yes. Yeah. Um, very good. So it, it's not just what the value is it's what do we what do i mean by that value what's the definition um and and where are the boundaries with it and then how do they where are the boundaries in relation to two or three values yes how do how do you rank your values on a personal basis it's not so important because because you're having the conversation with yourself so if there's a particular situation where two or three of your values are becoming get coming into conflict you're having that whole conversation in your head and you know what it is and you know how you justify it. But when in the off in the workplace, if there's three or four values and there's two values that are, a situation arises where the two values are going to come into conflict, mm. how do you, as in the organization, how do you rec- reconcile that? And ideally you want to reconcile it in advance because what will happen is what one person will see as the right way to resolve it if we're upholding these values will be very different to how another person would view how we would resolve them if we were upholding these values. That's the thing, Um, isn't it? It means like literally words mean different things to different people. mm. You know, forget the dictionary. People Mm. through their own mental models and their own experience in life have a different idea of take that respect. You know, People have stabbed other people based on a value of respect. This guy's disrespecting yeah. me, so I'm going to stab him. Like, I mean, it's not yeah. a great outcome, but it's actually based on the same value. Yeah. That I've been disrespected. Yeah. And, and that is one of my highest values, and I cannot stand that. You know, yeah. uh, you know, you really know what your values are when they're attacked. Yeah. If, if yeah. you get angry about something, it's probably a value at the basis, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's how I, often with people, how I, when I'm working with them or, you know, sometimes I go the route of like, think of a time when you've been in conflict with somebody because chances are it was because of your value. Yes. It's been yeah. trampled on. Yeah. 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 Um, those, those moments, I, uh, what I, I ask a different question. Tell me when you made a career limiting decision and they go, oh, well, there was that time I stood up for, and I go, that was a value. Yeah. That was a, a value. Question. 
yeah. yeah. Well, you see, you know what I mean? We, we, we try to self-preserve mostly, but if we actually put ourselves in some sort of, you know, unsafe, whether and even just from a career point of view, that might mean not getting on with that boss because we actually have drawn a line. You know, there's a value there. Mm. And it might affect your career. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, <laughs> hey, hey, Ariel, I found out that the hard way. <laughs> so, you know. I think I might have too. <laughs> yeah. But it's it, like you you talk in this book about how companies um, and personal values intersect. And I think that that's what you were getting at at the start. There's always values in the room, always values in the room. And everybody will have different values. And all values have a positive intent. You know, they're, all values are positively stated. They just might not have a positive outcome for the other people around you, you know, because you're trying to live your values. So trying to get a group of people, a diverse group of people with a diverse group of values to then have a company value. And and like companies don't have value, just the people in the companies have value because values are lived through the people, aren't they? Mm-hmm. You know, they're not lived yeah. through the, the logo of the company. They're lived through the people in the company. Yeah. How on earth do you get everybody to agree on values that can be truly lived in a company? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I suppose it's partly it depends on where your starting point is, because if you have, uh, you know, if you're going into a company where the values of the executive team are very, very different from each other, chances are you are going, the, the culture of the organization is quite dysfunctional because right. you have got so many different values that are in play and that are playing off each other. Um, so what you're looking for is, you know, so if you're then going into an organization where the executives have three or four, two or three personal values that are similar to each other, then you've got something to work with because chances are those are the three, two or three values that are embedded into the culture because they, decisions are constantly being made through them because there's enough of a resonance with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And with, with your personal values and the company values, you're looking, my take on it is um, you, you're not looking for absolute, you, you're not going to get a hundred percent. Congruence. Overlap. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Congruence. What you're looking for is maybe like seventy to eighty percent, and that the 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 what the bit the twenty to twenty five percent that maybe isn't um, a complete overlap isn't in conflict with them either. Yeah, do you know okay. what I mean? So, what you're trying to get is sufficient number of people that you know they've enough of. So, if it's innovation or if it's curiosity or if it's whatever it is, that there's that there's enough crossover that they will come to, you know, decision-making and behaviors and leading and all those sorts of things and, and, and how they approach things that they will be the ones that come out and become prevalent in the culture. Because yeah. again, yeah. culture comes from the leaders and what's happening at the top. And, so, and if, a, if a person finds themselves in a company where they are looking at, at it, the Pareto principle flipped the other way around where actually I disagree with like, you know, or, or 80% of these values mean nothing to me and actually I only agree with 20%, like they can avoid that harsh reality all they want, but really that's going to be a tough place to work for them, isn't it? Absolutely. And prob- they probably are in constant state of um, conflict yeah. um, and constant state of uh, stress. They will probably be in a constant fight or flight state. Yeah. 
um, if it's that different, if their values are that different. Um, and they may not, again, it goes back to we all have values, whether we know them or not is a totally different thing, but we all have them. Um, and you don't, in the book, I define values as those things that we think are worth extra, putting extra effort into in upholding yeah. and that we expect ourselves and others to live up to. Right. Yeah. So, but of course, you know, my values are my values, your values are your values, but we have, we, I expect you to live up to my values and you expect <laughs> me to live up to your values. Yeah. Do you, do you know? So we get this. And if my values aren't being lived up to whatever, then I start, if I have that expectation, then I start getting upset that you're not living up to my values. Yeah. Um, and that starts causing a conflict or a turmoil, an emotional reaction. Mm. Um, the more we understand this, the more we can understand, actually, this is my value and I would like him to live up to my value, but I understand he doesn't, he, he might yeah. have his own values. And so therefore, and that understanding, that that awareness allows us to, um, uh, not get as emotionally upset yeah. Yeah. because because we get emotionally upset when our expectations aren't being met. Mm. So if I understand my um, ex my values and understand that actually you've different values and you're upholding yours or whatever, and I'd like you to uphold mine, but I can't make you. That's fine. Mm. It, it lessens the turmoil. But if the difference is so much that I'm constantly somebody's approach is very different to mine it will bring that that constant turmoil that constant conflict that becomes too much mm. um, and actually my sister is a medical doctor and herbalist and she sells a lot of my book of the values book because she right. meets people who have the physical manifestations of living in that environment yeah. for a long period yeah so they actually get sick and they actually physically end up uh, you know you know, if you're living in a constant state of fight or flight, it burns yes. your adrenal yeah. glands and you get sick. Um, yeah. And so, you know, they, they read it and they go, oh, my God, this is it. I, I need to get out of this. I need to get out of this environment because it's too different to what I'm looking for. That That's it. Yeah. Look, I have I've countless examples of exactly that. I really do think it's it's something that needs more attention. I'm, I'm not I'm not too sure how people should go about it. I mean, companies need to um Companies need to take it into account, need to take it into account in conflict situations, as you say. I think that it is at the root of an awful lot of that conflict. And if, I, you know, I don't expect people to go around and talking about their values all the time. But that awareness that you talked about yeah, and that a little bit more maybe compassion for the values of other people um, to the understanding, it's nearly like a, a, a an empathic awareness of other people's values um mm. would go a long way mm. but that language needs to be in a company before that can happen you know so the, you still do need to have at least initial conversations about values and then regularly m m have that language living in yeah. the company as well yeah um yeah absolutely and it's interesting as I said, you can actually hear some, not all the time, but you can actually hear people's values coming out and how they, they talk about, they say things like, yeah. you know, they'll say things like, that's not very fair. Actually, mm. I had the same conversation today. Somebody said, well, that's not very fair. It's not very fair to other people. And I said, well, it's fairness of value. And they were like, well, no, actually, it's not. And it's like, well, if yeah. it's not a value, then you're bringing in a value there that's not something that's actually being stated as a value of the company. But yeah. you have the expectation that things are fair. 
Yes. So you yeah. can kind of hear it with people. Yeah. Uh, another one is honesty, where you can hear it with people that they have a craving for an expectation of honesty. You're going, is that a value of the company? No. Well, then you have an expectation of the company yeah, yeah. That, that they haven't promised you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You have the expectation because our expectations of values is that I live up to them and other people live up to my values. Yeah. Brilliant. And it brings in the expectations again. Yeah, that is, it look look the, the again another book very practical. You talk about how companies should go about you know um, finding their values, uh, working through that, uh, you know implementing them uh, and embedding them. You talk about that through the through the book again. Another one that is, I I would think this is very valuable for for startups actually because the one time you can get this really right is at the start because as you said, if you have founders like you have one or two people at the start, a great values conversation is going to fast forward through that storming conflict that can happen in startups. You know, because if you're very, because it's a startup, because it's a small group of people, you can be very clear about values and you can have great open conversations. Whereas when you get into a large corporation, you know, it can get a bit messy. But when you're in a small group of people like that, a brilliant conversation about values at the start can set you up for success later because Absolutely. it helps decision making. It, 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 you know, you talked about the speed of trust. It kind of feeds that as well. It, it's, a, it's about speed. We, yeah. we won't be having conflict if we understand that actually our top value is this. So why the hell would we go against that? You know? Yeah. Um, and it also, if you are bringing people into the startup, then if you're interviewing them and listening out for the values and getting people whose values are going to marry with the values of the founders and the company. (coughs) Sorry. You're okay. Um, That's absolutely true. Like hiring for values match could be a very powerful thing for people to do, especially in a startup, because you know what? In a startup, everybody's learning what the hell way things are going to work. So it's very hard to, role definition is it's a very hard thing to define because they're like, well, actually, some days I'm going to need you to sweep the floor. Some days it's going to be drive the van. Some days it's going to be, uh, you know, give a presentation. So yeah. actually the role is everything. <laughs> but if you do it with our values at heart, well, you're going to do a good job, man. That's going to be great. You yeah. know, so that that's, yeah, that's a really powerful idea um, behind that. I, I think... I, I, do you know what we haven't really done this book justice again I think if if I if I have another conversation on values I might have to come back from to you but I would say just encourage leaders and managers to reflect on their own values and reflect on the company values and reflect on what values they see lived and how they would describe them don't you know forget about as you say what's written on the wall forget about what's written on the wall or on the company website Actually, if you were to describe the values of your company, what would you see? And is that what's written on the wall? Mm. You might you might see a difference there. And if you do see a difference, you need to tackle it. You need to tackle it. Um, Absolutely. Look, I just the last word on this is this is this is not you finished. Uh, we're, I'm going to have you back on again because you just told me before we came on 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 air. Uh, there's more books planned. It's, this is amazing. You're a machine. There is. <laughs> You're a machine. So what what's coming up? What can we look forward to? Because by the way, so we have we have smart uh, objective setting. We have the manager's dilemma and we have values. So there's already three books there that people can get. Where can they get them just before we uh, uh, finish up? 
It, they're available on Amazon and they're available on my website. So www.evolutionconsulting.ie and brilliant. then Amazon as well. Um, so they can be ordered online. Yeah, um, brilliant stuff. Just yeah. That's the first thing to say that people can get them there. And actually it's a great, it's a great set to get and I would... I would encourage anybody and, you know, you haven't paid me to say this, but I would say if uh, if if anybody who's got leaders under them and they're trying to develop them, there would be no harm in getting a set of these books for the office. And this being one of the first things you give to people, (laughs) because actually these are roadmaps for how you should tackle these things, whether it be objective setting, values, discussions or this empowering your people these are roadmaps. These are absolutely practical guides to getting that done. So great to have a set of them in the office. Um, now, now tell me what the other books are. Sorry. Yeah, well, the, the starting ones. So uh, the next book, so uh, in uh, The Smart and the Manager's Dilemma, they are part of what I'm calling the performance development series. Brilliant. So um, I will, the next book in that is the giving feedback, giving effective feedback. Um, then I am, I'm not sure exactly where I'm going from there, but there will be book on the whole performance, reimagining performance management, re- reimagining mm-hmm. the process. And yeah. I referenced that already with the role dimensions, um, the current yeah. process, even with the changes that were made, the, the heralded as the yeah. new way of doing performance management in 2015. Um, mm. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for the 21st century. It doesn't work for knowledge workers. Yeah, the the system is rooted in manufacturing in the fifties, producing widgets, producing yeah. widgets, and it doesn't work for the way the work. An awful lot of the work of businesses now are done in people's heads. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, it's a very different skill sets, um, and so I've I've piloted with several companies a totally different way of looking at performance management, and the typical responses, um, yeah, that makes sense. Brilliant. Which is I'm, not something you hear about performance management <laughs> from yeah. managers or employees. <laughs> no, usually you hear, oh my God, it's that time of the year again. I yeah. can't believe I have to do this. <laughs> yeah, that's usually um, the way it goes. So that's brilliant. It's, yeah. it's much more. So I, where that book, that won't be, the, that, that's not book three in the performance management series, but it will be there at some point. And the other one that is, uh, that I think is there that in terms of the performance management, performance development series is actually how do you cascade down objectives from the strategic plan? Yes. Down yeah. right the way down. Like there is. How do you yeah, draw, I, draw the thread? Yeah. Yeah. How do you draw it? And, and, and it takes a lot of planning. Like it takes actually, like if you look at the OKRs, that objective um, key yeah. results or whatever, yeah. you know, it's, it's how it gets implemented is just holding, yeah. in my opinion. Um, yeah. Because the, the leadership team aren't sitting down and planning out going realistically, what can we get done here? And then how do we cascade that down? They're going, we want it all. Yeah. We want everything done. Yeah. Um, well, look, I, uh, just uh, less than 10% of employees understand the strategy of their business. Yeah. That's how, um, that's how poorly it's done at the moment. They don't yeah. understand how what they do fits into the plan. Yeah. So yeah, I and then, agree. I agree. <laughs> that's that's a book that needs to be written too. Yeah. And then you talk to managers, then you go, and then you'd cascade those down, and you can see their eyes kind of go. Yeah. Cascade. What? what? Yeah. yeah. And their eye, their you can see the glaze across their eyes going. You're going. They haven't got a clue. Cascade. It, it sounds like a, a wedding band. <laughs> <It does. laughs> yeah. Now music from Cascade. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, 
so uh, that that sort of practical this is what it means like yeah, when we yeah. say this this is what it means um so that's there but then the the idea would then also be to um so that would be the performance development series but then Brilliant. that i would have a management a management series so the skills of management and what they look like uh, you know so one of the key ones is actually around um training developing yeah. on the job training and that kind of stuff as as a front line but then when you get up into more senior management and then when you get up to you know, there's, there'll be a whole series on leadership as well so when you get into more senior management it's around org design and it's yeah. around um yes uh your, your processes and around do they work and are they interfacing properly with other functions and aligning again your a lot systems, of yeah. aligning your systems so a lot of times management particularly if you worked in a big organization where it works it's that it's the infrastructure is there as a hygiene factor that we don't yeah. realize we're working within the system and then we go to another yeah. company or we go to a smaller company or a startup which is always interesting um and it, the infrastructure isn't there and they don't understand because they were working within the infrastructure so yeah, well yeah. previously they didn't see the infrastructure and they don't know how to design yeah. the infrastructure or they don't know how to change the infrastructure <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. to what they need to happen and so that's a real core skill that i think again managers and at that stage you're talking whether you call them a manager or a leader because you're at that yeah, level they don't realize um, they, don't, they realize don't realize what they have it's like um yeah. that old joke about the 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 fish that's gone along and uh, another fish goes how's the water today what well, yeah <laughs> What the hell's water? <laughs> I use that quite a lot. Yeah. The fish don't know they swim in water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're just in it. Yeah, yeah uh, I love absolutely. that one. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that whole piece. So there's, oh, there's loads, yeah, there's loads of books. It's more like getting I, it's, the time it's, to do it all. It's inspirational to hear you with this plan of books of books. Like, you know, other mere mortals like us are going, I wish I could write one chapter <laughs> of one thing. And you're there churning it out. And, and you obviously... It's a whole other podcast. Uh, it's not for this podcast, unfortunately, but you should get onto a writing podcast because you must have a methodology of doing this, a way you figure it out because you just, you can see us in, you, you can see the cogs of your brain work the way, the way, and it's very methodical and you have a great way of churning out brilliant books that are, as I say, so accessible. So thanks for your writing gift and thanks for your your brain to bring it to us. Um, it, it's really worthwhile uh, knowing you and being able to get you on the podcast again. Um, so delighted to have you on again. Uh, Ariel O'Farrell, author of multiple books. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Stephen. It's been an absolute pleasure. Ariel has a brilliant mind and it is really well worth reading all of her books. Thank you for listening. It really means a lot. All of the previous episodes are available on my website, www.stephennaughton.com or on whatever platform you are listening on right now. I love getting feedback about which episodes you've enjoyed, so please do contact me and connect. You can find more from me on Instagram at goodbossbadbosspodcast. But for now, that's it. I'll be back next month, hopefully, with another Good Boss, Bad Boss guest. Until then, goodbye.